With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Mitzia Daf Zayin, page 7. We begin 10 lines in. My Havi Masusa. The Gemara says, what do we have? Can we answer the question that we asked in regards to the bathhouse? We're going to see it's not so clear that it was a bathhouse or it was just a bath. In any event, so we had this bath or bathhouse that there were two people that were arguing about it. One was saying it belonged to him, one was saying it belonged to him. And then one of them went and he was maktishit, he dedicated it to the temple. So the question was, was it considered that his hektish, that the donation that he gave was indeed a good donation, therefore belonged to the temple? So now the question is, do we have an answer to this question or not? Toshimah, the Gemara tries to bring a proof. Dam Rebbe Avin. Because Rebbe Avin says, Hava Uvda, there was a similar story, Be'er of Chizda, that they brought to the court of Rebbe Chizda. Rebbe Chizda, Be'er of Huna. And Rebbe Chizda brought this question to the court of Rebbe Huna. Upashim Ehad Amar of Nachman. And they answered this question based on the statement of Rebbe Nachman. That he says as follows, Any money that you can't access, even through the judicial process, it's in someone else's hands and you can't access it, ain't a Kaddish. If you try to donate that money to the temple, or try to donate some object to the temple, so it's not considered that you've donated it. So in our case as well, we had this bath or this bathhouse, so these two people were arguing about it, no one had any proofs to prove that their side was correct, so when the person was magnetic when he donated it to the temple, since he couldn't have gotten it through the judicial process, therefore, he also cannot be magnetic, he can't donate it to the temple. So the Gemara says, hold on a second, the implication here is that if, let's say a person could get it through the judicial process, so and he donates it to the temple, indeed it would be considered donated. Does that mean that even if you haven't actually gone through the whole process, you still can be maktish, you still can donate it, even before it's gotten into your hands? We know that Rabbi Yechanan says, If let's say someone steals something, if a thief, he takes something and the owners did not give up hope on it. So both of these parties, the thief and the person who it originally belonged to that it was stolen from, neither of them can donate it to the temple. The thief can't do it because it doesn't belong to him. And the original owner of it can't do it because it's not in his possession. So we see that if it's something that's not in one's possession, even if one could get it through the judicial process, nevertheless, one cannot be mighty. You can't make it holy to the temple. So the Gemara answers, You're assuming that we're talking about a bath that's something that's movable, like a barrel. But we have to be talking, this whole conversation has been about a bathhouse that's something that's in the ground. Because since it's something which is immovable from the ground, so theoretically, if he can get it through the judicial process, so it's considered that it's in his hands already, even despite the fact that he hasn't actually gone through the process. Because a piece of land is always considered that it's in the possession of the person it rightfully belongs to wherever it is. Rav Tachlifa, who was from the land of Israel, he said the following in front of Rabbi Avo. He said the Brisa. Let's say you have two people that are holding on to a garment. So each one takes the amount that they're actually holding on to. And the rest, the parts that they're not actually holding on to, they split that up equally. Rabbi Avo pointed his hands upwards, and he said that it has to be done with a swear. And Tyson says that this swear that he's going to make is going to be not only on the part that they're not holding on to, but even on the part that you're also holding on to. So Gemara says, hold on a second. And Lamas Nisin, so the mission of the Katani, the Pagi Bahadadi, the mission that says that they split up with each other, it doesn't say anything about them each taking based on how much they're actually holding on to. So what's the case? Amara Papa, so Rapapa explains that each of them are actually holding on to the very edges of the garment. They're not actually physically holding on to any part of the garment besides for that. So therefore, that's why they completely split up the entire garment. 
Amar of Masharshia, Masharshia says as follows, Shmamino, from this statement that we just made, that whatever a person's holding on to, and he's fighting about, so whatever is actually in his possession is considered his, Shmamino, we can deduce, high Sudra, if let's say someone is using a Sudra, a kerchief, in order to affect a Kinyon, a transfer of possession. So in theory, the way this works is, as Rashi explains, there's a barter that's happening. You take the kerchief that belongs to the person who's trying to buy something, the person who's trying to sell it, so he takes the kerchief, as soon as the kerchief has transferred into the possession of the seller, so the object that's trying to be sold transfers into the possession of the buyer. So now, Kevin the toughest Beisholish al-Sholish, once the Makna, the person who's trying to transfer the object into the possession of the person, has held onto this kerchief three fingers by three fingers worth, it's considered that it's been given over to his friend, meaning even though the person whose kerchief it is, is still holding on to this kerchief, as long as he's taken this amount, it's significant enough for it to be considered that it's transferred into his possession, and thereby, at the same moment, will transfer the object into the possession of the buyer. The command deposit because it's as if they've already said from before that as soon as he does this, it's going to transfer. So again, the point is that we see that all you have to take is a part of something, it's considered that you've gotten something significant, and therefore it's considered transferred into that p- person's possession. So now I think Mar says, hold on a second. Why is this different from the statement of Rav Chizda? The Amr Rav Chizda, Rav Chizda says, Get biyada, If let's say a man is giving a divorce document to his wife, and he puts it into her hand, but there's a string attached to it, yeah, literally strings attached, and he's holding on to that string. If he has the ability to use that string to pull it back to himself, so she's not considered divorced. But if he can't pull it back, so it's considered that she's received it completely and she's considered divorced. So what do you see? You see that in order for it to be considered that you've gotten it, so it's not enough to actually just be holding it, but you have to be able to hold it without the other person being able to pull it away. So that seems to contradict what we just said. So my answer is no. There it's completely different. It's a special halacha, it's a special law in regards to a divorce document. In regards to a divorce, so the Torah says there has to be a creases, complete cutting off between the man and the woman. Vileka. And that's missing, because as long as he can pull it back, even though she has a significant portion of this get, of this divorce document, since he can pull it back, so it's considered that he's still attached to her. And that's a chison, that's a lack in the creases, in the separation between a man and his wife if he's trying to divorce her. Hacha, in our case, nesina ba'inon. We need there to be an action of giving. Vahayika. And there is such an action. So despite the fact that it's not completely given over to him, because all he's taken is three fingers worth by three fingers, that's still considerable, and it's significant enough to create, to affect a transfer of possession. Amar Rav, Rav says, If let's say the garment in question was gold, meaning it was made out of golden threads, let's say, chalkin, so they'll split it up. So Gemara says, hold on, pshita, that's obvious, of course. No, the Gemara says, No, we do need it. Where's the gold? The gold is actually in the middle. So Gemara says, Hanami Pshita, that's also obvious, of course you split that. Gemara says, Loi Tzricha, no, we do need it. The Mikra Legabe Dechad, the gold is actually closer to one of the people who's holding on to it. Mahu Dutem, you might have thought, the Amar Le Plegachi, that the person who has it closer to him can say, let's split it up this way. Kamash Malan, so what it's coming to teach us is, the Amar Le Maichaz the Bagis Hachi Plegachi, that the other person can respond and say, why are we going to split it up that way, let's split it up this way. We learned in our Bible, let's say you have two people holding on to a document, and the document says that one of them lent the other person money. So ordinarily, the person who lent money, he holds on to the document until the, the loan is paid, and then as soon as the loan is paid, so he gives it to the person who paid the loan, the person who borrowed the money, and that person takes the document and he rips it up. 
So here you have these two people that are holding onto the document, Malva The person who lent the money is saying, it's my document, meaning you have not yet paid it back, and I, I lost it, and I found it. The Leivis, the person who borrowed the money, says, it was yours, or Shalihu, it's mine, I paid you already, and therefore, give it back to me. So Rebbe says, what you do is, you take the document, and you verify the signatures on the document, and the Gemara thinks in the first stage that what Rebbe means is that the person who lent the money, he gets it back. In other words, he can collect again. Rebbe Shem Gamliel says, that no, they split it. It says, if let's say it gets into the hands, or got into the hands of a judge, so then he shouldn't allow it to go out of his hands forever. We're going to have to see exactly what this case is. Rabbi Yesi says, It remains in his previous status, meaning it sounds like the person who originally lent the money, he gets the document back, and he can get paid. So we said in the rice that we verify the signatures on the document. So what does that mean? It means that the malve, the person who lent the money, has the ability to collect all of the money. Doesn't he hold over the mission? The mission says that if you have two people holding on to a talus, a garment, so they split it up if we don't know to whom it belongs. So here too, by this document, we should say the same thing. If the document is one that was already verified, Everyone will agree that they will in fact split it up. Now the issue here has to do with the case where you have a document which was not verified. Rebbe Savar, Rebbe holds, Even though somebody, the lover, the person who borrowed the money, he's admitting that this document is indeed correct. Nevertheless, you still have to establish that this document is correct. And the reason is, explains Rashi, that because since the only reason that we know that it's correct is because the lover, the borrower, is admitting to the fact that this document is indeed a verified document, so therefore, since the lover, the borrower, is saying, I have already paid it back, so for believing the whole power for this document comes from his own admission that this document is a real document, so we'll also believe that what he's saying that he already paid back as well. So now if we go and verify the signatures from a different source, Pollock, so then we'll split it up, because then it's not coming because of the admission of the lova, of the person who borrowed the money. But if they don't validate the document from a different source, so then we'll just leave things as is, and we'll believe the lova that he already paid it back. My What's the reason? Because this document is worthless. Who's making this into a significant document? Live the borrower, Hakamar the Priya, and he's also saying that he paid. So therefore, that's why we would say that without verifying it, the document will not create an obligation on the loave the borrower to pay. Rabbi Shimingam Liel Savar, however, Rabbi Shimingam Liel holds Maid Kasvu. If somebody agrees, he admits to a document that was written, ain't It's not necessary to verify it. And even if we haven't verified it, Yachleiku. So they will still split up the money. Now, the Gemara continues. We said that if it gets into the hands of a judge, so then he's not allowed to let it go out of his hands forever. We turn to Dav Zayin, we base page 7b. The Gemara says, what's the difference if it got into the hands of a Dayan, of a judge, or if it got into the hands of anyone else? Why would the Dayan, the judge, not have to, or not be allowed to let it out of his hands? Amar Rav Sarov explains like this. This is what we mean. Let's say someone else found a document that had gotten into the hands of a judge. What does that mean that if 
fell into the hands of a judge. The Kasabe Henpak, there's a stamp on this document that says that in fact, this passed through the hands of a judge. So then you can't give it out forever. And what we're saying here, the novelty is that not only in case where there's no verified stamp upon it, that is possible if there's no stamp, it could be that this document was written to, to lend money to someone and it was never used. The money was never lent. Even if there's a stamp on it showing that it was in fact used and it was the money was lent out, you still should not return it to the person who lent the money, the because we're afraid that perhaps the money had been paid back, the lover, the person who borrowed the money, had gotten the document back and he lost it. And therefore that's what we're afraid of. So Rabbi Yaisi says it remains in its original status, and we don't assume that it was indeed paid. I mean, it goes back to the Mava, the person who lent the money, because if the borrower had indeed paid back, so he for sure would have gotten the document and he would have ripped it up. It wouldn't still exist. So from the fact that we found it, clearly it goes back to the Mava, according to Rabbi Yaisi, it goes back to the person who lent the money. Now there are challenges. Is it true that Rabbi Yaisi holds that we don't believe that the person would have paid it? Meaning, if you find the document, you always assume that it was not yet paid because it would have been ripped up. For a time, we have a bracelet that seems to imply not that way. Let's you find a document, a ksuva. The ksuva is a document that states that a man, when he gets married to a woman, he promises her that if he divorces her or if he dies, so a certain amount of money is going to be given to her. So this document is similar to what we're talking about because it says on it that Ruvain owes Sarah money. Okay, so let's say somebody found this document in the shuk, in the market. So if the husband agrees, if he admits, so then you give it back to the woman, you don't assume that it was paid. But if let's say the husband is saying that I already paid off the ksuva, I paid off this document, so since we don't know if it was paid or not, you don't return it to either party. Rabbi Yaisi says, If she's still married, you give it back to the woman. And the reason is because normally husbands do not pay off a ksuva because as long as they're married, there's no obligation to pay it. So the whole obligation only comes if he divorces her or if he dies. So clearly if they're still married, the document is hers. It goes back to her. However, let's say her husband had died, so the kids have to pay off the ksuva, they have to pay this loan, so to speak, the money that's owed, or or she had been divorced, so so in such a case, we don't return it neither to her nor to him because we're not sure if it was paid off or not. So what do we see? We see Rabbi Yossi says explicitly that we don't assume just because we found a document that it had been paid. It could be that it has been paid and nevertheless, the person who owed the money, which would be either the husband if he divorced her or the kids if the husband had died, nevertheless, Rabbi Yossi would say that it could be they got back the document but they didn't rip it up. We don't assume that just because we found this document, it means that it was never paid. So the Gemara answers, We have to switch things around. This is that we said that if it gets into the hands of a dying, to the hands of a judge, and it's verified, and now someone else finds it, and we say that you don't give it to either party because we don't know if it was paid or not. So that's Rabbi Yaisi, like in the second Raisa. The Chachamim, the sages are the ones who say, We assume that in fact it was not paid because if it had been paid, then they would have ripped it up. So it's the sages now. So the Gemara says, Hold on a second. If that's the case, we actually have a contradiction between the two statements of the sages. Because now, if the sages are the ones who said that we don't assume that it was paid, so that's in that b'risa. But in the second b'risa, in regards to the b'ksuva, where the woman is supposed to get paid by the husband, so the sages, the, the ones who were arguing on Rabbi Yaisi, they also said that we don't per se assume that it was paid. So the Gemara answers, Shtar ksuva kula Rabbi We could say that the entire b'risa, in regards to the ksuva, the woman who has to be paid by her husband, that's all Rabbi Yaisi, the chisur mechsira. There's something missing from the b'risa, and this is how it should read. If let's say the husband does not agree, 
So it shouldn't be returned neither to this one nor to that one. And when is this talking about? That's talking about if she got divorced or her husband had died. But if she's still married, and this whole brisa is going to go according to Rabbi Yesi. says, As long as she's still beneath her husband or she's still married, we assume that it was not paid. Let's say she was divorced or she was widowed. Since we don't know if it was paid or not, so we don't give it back to either one. Rav Papa, um, Rav Papa offers a different explanation, meaning to the question, the original question, which was a contradiction between what Rabbi Yesi says in regards to Ksuva, which was that we don't know to whom to give it back, we don't per se assume that it was actually paid, as opposed to what he said in regards to Malvin Alev, this document, that we assume that in fact it was not paid. So he says, don't switch it around, don't make Rabbi Yesi to be the, the, the sages, don't switch around the sages to be Rabbi Yesi, don't do that. Rabbi Yesi always holds that if we find a document, we do not assume that it was paid. But in regards to Ksuva, when it seems that he's saying that you do not give it back to the person who was owed the money, meaning you don't per se know, so that's not his own sheet, he's not saying his own opinion, rather he's saying even according to the sages, in a certain sense, they should agree with him. How does it work? He's saying like this, according to me, even if she's been divorced, or her husband has died, nevertheless, we don't assume that she's gotten paid. But you should still agree to me, but as long as she's still married, that the document should still go back to the woman because there's no reason that she would have gotten paid. So the sages would respond and say that we don't agree with you. Because it could be that she did get paid. And the reason that she would get paid is sometimes the husband would give her a bag of money and he would say to her that if I die or if I divorce you, this is where you should collect from. Therefore, there are times, even when they're still married, that the document may have been paid already. So therefore, we don't know to whom to give it back. Ravina, um, Ravina offers a different possible explanation. Really, we'll switch around the first b'risa. And we'll say that the sages are the ones who say that we assume that if you find a document, it was not paid. And Rabbi Yesi is the one who says that if we find a document, we don't know if it was paid. We don't know who to give it back to. And to this question of how do we resolve the conflict, the contradiction between the two versions of the sages, in the first version, so they seem to be saying that if you find a document, you don't assume that it was paid. And therefore, you give it back to the person who lent the money, give that document back. But in the second b'risa, in regards to Ksuva, so they're saying that we don't know who to give it to. We don't assume that it wasn't paid, but rather, it could be that it was paid, or it could be that it wasn't paid. So what's the understanding of that? For time of the Rabbana, the reason of the sages in regards to Ksuva, that they say that you don't per se give it back to the woman who here is owed the money, the reason is because we're afraid that perhaps there was a second document which was written. And Rashi explains, because the woman had claimed that the document had been lost, so now the husband wrote a second document, and then she went and she found the original document, so the husband says, that's the second document that was written, and she already has the other document. We shouldn't be giving her two documents, so she collects twice. Rabbi Yaisi, and what does Rabbi Yaisi hold? He holds that if they're still married, so you will give back the document that you found. He holds that we are not afraid that such a thing happened, that one of them got lost, he wrote a second document, she found the first one. We don't believe that such a thing happened, therefore we assume that this is her Shtar Ksuva, this is the document that was originally written to her when they got married, and therefore we give it back to her because Rabbi Yaisi holds that as long as a husband is married to his wife, he's not going to give her the money from the Ksuva, which is only supposed to be given to her after they get divorced or after he dies. The Gemara continues. I'm Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Lazar says, Machlaikis. This argument that we have between Rebbe and Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel in regards to the case of 
splitting up the document. When they're both holding on equally to the top and the bottom of the document. Let's say you have one of them holding on to the top, one of them holding on to the bottom. So the one who's holding on to the top takes the top, the one who's holding on to the bottom takes the bottom. Rabbi Yechanan says, no, it doesn't matter who's holding on to which part, even if one of them is holding on to the top, one of them is holding on to the bottom, they still split it completely. The Gemara says, hold on a second. We have a Bryce, not that way. The Bryce says that they take based on what they're holding on to. So how could you, Rabbi say that we don't go by which side they're holding? So Gemara says, no, we need it. That the tire of the bottom of the document is actually in the middle, meaning it's between where their hands are grasping. And therefore, that's why they'll split it. Sigmar says, hold on a second. If that's the case, then what's the chiddush? What's the novelty? Sigmar says, no, we do need it. Even though it's between the two, but it's actually closer to one of them. You would have thought, the person that is closer to can say, listen, let's split it up so that I get this part. That's what it's coming to teach you. That he can say, that why are we splitting it up that way? Let's split it up this way. Meaning, instead of doing it widthwise, let's do it lengthwise. So Rav Acha from Difti says to Ravina, Lo Rebbe Lazar, coin to Rebbe Lazar, to Amar Zenaytel Tavis Vizenaytel Tayref, that says one of them takes the top, one of them takes the bottom, Lamale, what is he going to use it for? Vichilotzer apitz lechisa utzarech, what does the top, what does the bottom help you? If you only have half a document, what are you going to use it as a stopper on your wine bottle? Amar Lay, so he responds like this, Ledemei, we mean for value, we're not just talking about you're cutting up the document. To Amar Hachi, you say like this, Shtar de Ispe Zman Kamashavi, if you have a document that has the time written upon it, how much is it worth? Meaning, only one of them is going to end up with the time, which is written on the top. And if it doesn't have a time on it, how much is it worth? So if you have a document that has the time in it, then it's permitted to collect from pieces of land that the person who had borrowed the money had at the time of the loan. But if it doesn't say a time, so we don't know when the loan was, therefore there won't be the ability to collect from a piece of land. They figure out what's the difference between these two amounts, and the person who has the top of the document with the time on it, so he gets the greater amount. Now the Gemara points out, It's clear that when we say that they're splitting it up, it's talking about the value. Because if we don't say that, If we're talking about two people that are splitting up a talus, a garment, what, they're going to split it up, they're going to cut it? They're going to make it lose value. Sigmar says, That's not for sure a proof, that's not a question. Because even if you cut it up, it can still be used by a minor, by a little kid. Sigmar says, What about the statement of Rava? He said that if you have a garment which has golden threads in it, so he said that you split it up. What, are you going to cut it up like that? You're going to ruin it. So the Gemara says, That's not a proof either. It can still be used by princes. That have two people that are sitting on top of an animal, and the Mishnah says that they split it. What are you going to do? Cut up the animal in half? You're going to make it lose value. Sigmar says, so if we're talking about an animal which is a pure animal, so you could theoretically chop it up, and we might not be talking about value because you could you could slaughter it and then split the meat. But if you're talking about a non-kosher animal, say a donkey, what are you going to do with it? Split it up? It's not going to be worth anything. So the says, It's clear that you're splitting up the value. So so too over here, when we talk about you're splitting up this document, it doesn't mean you're going to literally cut it in half, but rather you're splitting up the value.